1: what's good internet it's november 22nd 2022 and you are listening to waypoint radio episode 524 i'm your host rob zachney and i'm joined by patrick lepik hello so we have a special show for you today as we are going to be joined by Fraxis' jake solomon to discuss marvel's midnight Suns, the superhero card tactics game that is coming out later this month uh but before we dig into that early december i I think actually i think it's a little bit I might be remembering the embargo is like the very end. The, of the embargo
2: month. is the we can November review 30th. embargo is the end of November. I think the game is actually out early. early. I
1: mean, it's gone through a couple release dates,
2: right? That's that's kind of the thing. It was supposed to be come out back in March and then got pushed to the summer and then the fall. And now this game is weirdly coming out in December. I I think
1: only yeah, because December, December 2nd. Yeah. And I think my embargo is like the, the 30th yes uh I think or your said, embargo one of us can write you know what all it. of us you know it's a it's a,
2: a group bargo um but uh but yeah it was, it was very funny when we uh when we interviewed jake i have not seen jake i think i told him since pff, i think when the original XCOM came to the ipad and I, he was showing off a version of that game uh at GDC. Um, and I don't think Jake knew that you were coming on the call. I, I kept saying, Oh, my colleague Rob is he's, he's having a, he's trying to get into the zoom call. He'll be here in a minute. And then the joy, cause I don't know how much of this is going to be in the, I, I don't think any of this part is in the actual interview you're going to hear, but the joy on Jake's face when you joined and realized, Oh, the Rob, this joining is,
1: is <laughs> Rob zackney was was, uh, was, was delightful. Yeah, it was great. I remember, um, you know, back during the original XCOM, uh, press tour like one of the things that, that jake talked about was he was a big fan of uh throughs ahead from, from from way back so wow it was yeah so he's actually like been a long time listener he, he he really dug uh 3ma for for, for, a, for a long time there so yeah but it's also one of those things where to me then we talk a little bit about this to me it does not feel like it's been that long since i chatted with jake or that mm-hmm. xcom really was that long ago in terms of things happening or things that are new and a decade has flown by. No, it's been a
2: long time. <laughs> like uh, uh, like
1: the, the
2: if you if you if you measured it, the the you know the the original XCOM is is headed towards being a teenager, and I don't I don't I don't like it. Um, I don't like it at all. But I guess it just goes to show you even see between XCOM XCOM two and the Midnight Suns. Now, granted, something like COVID, I'm sure you know was it was you know a disruption in terms of how long this game took to be made. But even just Strategy games, right? Like you you pointed this out in the conversation where uh asking about kind of things that Jake would want to work on um in the future, possibly. Uh just the scale at which these games are made, the technology required, the manpower required, uh means that like this game was in development for five years. You know, the original XCOM wasn't in development for that long. XCOM 2 certainly not because it was more iterative, but just the fact that like, you know, Sid Meyer could put out basically shit out two games in a year because that's just that's just the, the nature of things is 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 wild to look at in the in the scale of not just you know XCOM to Midnight Suns but just the strategy genre or game development as a whole um even if you're just making quote a strategy game which doesn't seem even even though Midnight Suns is certainly more ambitious and more cinematic than than what they've done in the past you know if you think of it in your head as like well they're just making a strategy game like well yeah but it's making a strategy game still takes five years at this point or can.
1: Yeah. I think one reason that came up a lot is, is just because it is such a, if you compare the pace of iteration in board games, for instance, to like computer games, it's, it's it's absurd. Like uh, ideas will sort of propagate and be copied and refined and, and adapted, uh, you know, multiple times over within the space of a few years in board game space. And then, Triple A is completely out of step with that, right? Where it's we, you know, you do end up working on things for for half of a decade, and and I and I do think it is a I like to me that seems like it's a it's a huge challenge, right? Because uh, it, it, I think it makes you hew a little bit closer to safe safe ground, and also like you know, as Jake Jake gets to the stakes on these things is so incredible, like the right. the amount of responsibility that you are you are made to feel for these things is. You know, quite the it's a heavy load, it seems. Yeah. Like the the uh, you
2: back in the era of putting out, you know, two or th- two games a year. OK, one of those could whiff like oh, you just move on to the next one. Um, Like Midnight Suns was to whiff. That is that has much broader implication, not just for Jake, but like the team and what they do going forward. Um, I, I thought one of the most interesting bits that came up, uh, I think it's pretty early in the interview, was. And I'm sure this has come up in other interviews. I haven't followed too closely along with the, the press on this game. But he answered the question that I think a lot of people were asking when the game was announced was, like, why didn't you just make XCOM with superheroes? Like, that just seems, like, pretty obvious. Like, it seems like the framework is already there. And the fact that that's what they – they were like, yeah, we agree. That is the obvious thing we should do. And they, that's what they pitched to Disney on. And that's how the game got greenlit they built a prototype and discovered it sucked ass
1: and was no fun to play it was really interesting which doesn't entirely surprise me because a game that like gets cited a lot or used to get cited a lot as sort of a a, a great irrational game was freedom force uh, mm-hmm. freedom force they made force two was, of those right right yeah they made, they made two of them they're very well regarded I came to them years after the fact, and yes, they got a bunch of Silver Age, uh, like flavoring to them. They they they're long on charm in that way. But the thing I was always, I always struggled against is they're like action RTSs in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And one thing you run into playing them is you not feel particularly super heroic because the minute you have whatever this universe is equivalent of like Batman or something, uh, just getting absolutely like you know, his ass beat by random thugs in the park before you even meet the other supervillains, just like their random henchmen are just like teeing off on you. And you got to sort of micromanage your way through those encounters, which is why it works as a game, but also you're consistently sitting there being like my superheroes suck. Like I can't hate these guys. Cause their powers aren't powerful enough to overcome the fact that they're very squishy. And so I can sort of see how that, you know, a uh, Marvel XCOM would run into the same problem of the whole dynamic of that game is that like the environment is lethal and bad choices have like instant consequences for members of the team. That and then Captain happen. America can throw his
2: shield and it will hit every time. Not that there's a ten percent chance it might miss,
1: <laughs> which was and then it like an just gets of- like shotgunned. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. like it, it made sense that. You know, as Jake went into, like they just started stripping away parts of XCOM, hoping it would get more interesting. And what they found at the end was they'd sort of taken out all the XCOM parts and then had to build a new game as a result. And then that's how you end up with with Midnight Suns. Um, uh, outside of what was in the interview, I am curious. Do you remember your first encounter like with a superhero that stuck? Like, where, where does that begin for you when you're younger? Because I was trying to answer that question for myself and I don't. No, because I, I associate my youth more with Power Rangers, Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant, like those were the versions of superheroes that I, I can't, I don't actually remember when, like, when did I figure out, when did I find out who Batman was? Maybe it was the Tim Burton films. I don't, I don't know, but I can't, I actually don't know where that, like, that journey
1: even begins with me. So, the Tim Burton films might actually be, like, where I first become aware of superheroes. Uh I also watched some of the reruns of the Batman Adam West uh mm. series from from the 60s. But in terms of the thing that really clicked with me, of course, and you know, it's been front of mind lately cuz Kevin Conroy, uh the voice actor right. for Batman just passed, but Batman the animated series, the Bruce tim Paul Dini uh like like series that ran after school in the 90s was that was where I really became a fan of maybe if not superheroes of Batman. Like I loved that show, I loved its style, I loved loved that universe like it was it was the coolest. And you know, it was kind of a shock to me how often Batman comics did not feel like that, but mm-hmm. it is what sparked my curiosity and, and and through those I started getting into uh you know, into more stuff but the, the funny thing I guess is you know, I end up like following Batman a lot but I get into Marvel because Kieran Gillen started writing uh, Thor comics mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, did his did his Loki run, his journey in the mystery series. And that was sort of my point of entry into Marvel, because originally I was just like, oh, yeah, the dude from Rock, Paper, Shotgun is writing these comics. They seem cool. <laughs> and from there i end up reading uh, a a whole bunch of stuff uh, you know you know across there so that that's kind of that's my point of entry it's 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 either like batman the animated series and then like slightly weirder more recent stuff
2: yeah i definitely i definitely watched the animated series growing up um although sometimes in my head of nostalgia, I confuse watching that and Gargoyles because they just sort of like mix in the same similar space vibe. of things. I was similar, similar vibe. Um, I think the one the first time that one of something like that really stuck was the Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. Like mm-hmm. I was a little older at that point, but I was a fan of Raimi already and his take on the character, how he shot it. Like just like everything about like, you know, getting to hear Nickelback at the end, a hero will save us. I'm not going to stand here and wait. Um, you know, the infamous words uh, at the end of that song, uh, end of that movie. Uh, I think that that film, because it was so stylistic, like, and it was Spider-Man, like, that's like one of the first times I was like actually invested in one of these characters. I just didn't grow up around people reading comics. Like, I broadly, people played video games and occasionally, I guess, I played, a you know, like a Spider-Man video game, maybe, but um, it's just like I didn't have anyone in my life that cared about that stuff all that much. And so there just like wasn't a world where I would be going to like the library to grab a graphic novel or a comic a comic set so it just it took a long time before I was like a fully formed adult before I was even engaging with con- like reading comics
1: well also I think generationally I think we might have had it a bit rough because I, I a lot of people I know who follow comics cite the 90s as kind of a rough period right, right. where oh, X-Men the animated series I guess that uh, that I was mm-hmm. obsessed with as a kid so maybe that and as I'm thinking
2: about it what like the era in which probably some people as you're about to say they were picking up comics and reading i was too young to do that but i was watching you know essentially the definitive uh animated adaptation of a comic series being that that cartoon run
1: yeah no i just remember like i've seen some discussion of like the comics of the 90s often got stuck in a it was going through a period of like make it darker grittier more violent uh Mm. in part because like the success of things like Spawn at the very start of the '90s, like through this gauntlet down to the the mainline comic publishers. Is This uh, also like Dark Knight Returns, like era, or like I don't know. I where want that to say it's right around there. I can't remember okay. when Dark Knight Returns, uh, which is half genius and half unbearable. Like it's Batman as pure fascist, but. Frank Miller has those tendencies too. So well, yeah, I was going to say, have
2: you read some some of Miller's other mo- modern works? Then,
1: <laughs> right, and so like that's always been no, that's eighty six, but you you view this mm. as like a foundational work of of that era. It's all it's all heightened, it's all extreme. The violence. I think is you you don't, you don't get to Spawn without probably like work like
2: that, like sort of uh, existing.
1: Yeah, and and so like a lot of the stuff informs comics uh, in in the nineties where things are, are, are more violent. Uh, there, there's more of a, you know, grim and gritty aesthetic. Also characters just get huge. Like there's a, there's a roided up aesthetic happening in this period. And so like nineties comics, I think in, in part, you know, if you were a kid who liked things like what you decided, what I've just cited and you went to a comic shop to be like, I want to find stuff that like lands like that sorry kid we don't make them like that anymore <laughs> uh in, instead you want to see like these characters just like being unhappy and beating the shit out of people and that's not to say there weren't there weren't great books in the period but like it it definitely was sort of a weird moment in comics uh that you know before you know kind of fortunately passed but uh i i think it was kind of a weird artifact of it started being pitched at people who felt they were They'd sort of, they were, they'd outgrown like classic comics aesthetics and storylines and vibes, uh, but also were not interested at all in like getting kids as readers. Uh, yeah. You know, which is, I think we talk about a recurring issue in nerd culture, right? Of your audience ages and they want like the more mature, like more resonant stuff to, that, that like will age with them. But also that does mean that sort of the core appeal gets watered down because the things that capture each generation of readers stop being. You know, centered as much uh, to try and to to try and sort of flatter the the tastes of an aging readership.
2: This is this brings to mind a story. It's completely tangential to all of this. But um, when you brought up the Adam West Batman, I remember (laughs) <laughs> years ago uh uh oneup.com sent me uh to the 24 the game press tour which yeah. was in Los Angeles because uh I was a big fan of the of the show they're like do you want to go out like be on camera we'll send you with one of the video people i was like okay uh so they told me the date i was like well i turned 21 that weekend they're like okay well you can go get you know you can go to a bar for the first time in la and i was like okay so i flew out there um and one of the – like, I got to go to the set of 24 um, and also uh, got, eventually got to interview Kiefer Sutherland. But he was getting ready to shoot that day and wasn't in makeup, so he couldn't do anything on camera. So there's no – this doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure – I don't even know if the tapes, the audio is, exists anymore. But um, one, couldn't have been like nicer. Like there weren't enough chairs for everybody. He like saw me. He's like, do you need a chair? And I was like, I guess. And he went and got me a chair. And uh, I was in a group interview with like a bunch of other press and there was foreign press and they told me I only had two questions. So I, I asked like one BS question about the game so that like there was something if they wanted to splice in that audio to whatever video package we were doing. And then the person I was with was like, well, the other question can be whatever you want it to be. It can be yours. And I was like, OK, what do I want to ask you for Sutherland? And I <laughs> I just turned 21 and Kiefer Sutherland has a bit of a history of uh being pretty wild wy- wild out there if you've seen the clip of him uh 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 attacking that christmas tree in an excellent documentary i want you to kill me which is about him attempting to manage a band uh and he's awful at it it's 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 really it's really good and he's and he's awful in it um or awful at managing the band but so my uh the question i landed on was as uh, you know mr sutherland uh you know i this is a little bit an odd question but uh I turned twenty one uh, this weekend, like, or I think I'd done it like the day before. I was like, "Do you have any recommendations on like what I should have to drink?" Like, I'm I'm not used to drinking before. And uh, he goes, he looks at me, and I'm like, I knew this cracking could one of either way. Like, either he's going to think I'm a <laughs> fucking idiot, which is which is true. I was twenty one asking a really dumb question at a high profile press event, uh, or he might find it interesting. And he looks at me and he goes quiet for a long time, like what felt like a long time. But it was like thirty seconds. And he turns to me and he goes, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, when I was growing up, I was a huge fan of the Adam West Batman show. And Batman and Robin on that show used to drink something. And I, I can't remember what it was. But he's like, my brother and I, we'd sit and watch it. And we were obsessed with it." And I asked, mom, mom, could you please go get us what they drink on the show? We really want it. And, you know, my mother would respond that – uh, it's it's gross. Like, I know you kids aren't going to want to drink it. Like, I'm not, no, I'm not going to the store wasting money uh, on something that you're just going to say you don't like. And they just kept, you know, and they just kept bugging his mom, bugging his mom, bugging his mom. Finally, she gave up, goes to get, buys whatever it is, something milkish, like milk adjacent. They bring it home. They're very excited. Him and his brother open it up, take one sip, fucking hate it. And so, and so then Kiefer goes, So I guess what I'm saying is, You kind of need to figure it out on your own. Like, you can't really have people tell you what you might like or might not like. That's kind of your own journey. And he pauses. But whiskey. (laughs) It's like, okay, thank you, Mr. Sutherland. And he still drinks whiskey to this day. I did. Mr. Sutherland sent me on my path. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Sutherland.
1: Now I'm curious what that drink was. I don't know. Something something, something milk, something milk. See, the I problem don't, is if, it couldn't be Bailey's because you'd love Bailey's. Even if you were a kid, you'd be like, hell No, yeah, and also, but ship, yeah, this, yeah, it
2: also was like, it was in the show. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what it was. Um If, dear listener, if you have any idea what strange drink that Batman and Robin might have been having in that, in that 50s show that Kiva Sutherland was, 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 was attuned to, please, please let me know. Um. Have, have you played any more of the game since yeah. we talked about it on the
1: on the podcast? So we're, we're uh you must have at least caught up to where I am,
2: probably, which is
1: it feels like I'm near the end of tutorialization, though. There's always another system around the corner. Yeah. Uh, one of the like, last
2: things I did was uh, I fought a helicopter. I had to, like, rescue an artifact from a helicopter. No. Um, I think I'm a little bit past a little bit past that.
1: Like, I got to the part where I recruited Spider-Man is the last thing I. I OK, I did so you're a little ahead of me then. All right. Uh, so, yeah. and what i would say so it's it's weird uh it's like the three houses thing in that so much of this game is shooting the shit with other marvel characters and just Mm -hmm. hanging out and like decorating the abbey that the whole game takes place in it's it's weird you know you know patrick it's i think they're like If I were in maybe a shittier mood or something, I'd be like, this game is wasting my time. It doesn't respect your time. I don't like it. And instead, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. This is like, it's a lot of the stuff in the game feels like it is landing pretty well exactly at where your like replacement level Marvel show on Disney ends Mm -hmm. up where it's like, this is. This is kind of nice. I, I enjoy hanging out with I these like characters. This character. it's sure, funny. Yeah. yeah, it's goofy. And that's where the game ends up a lot of times, uh, w- with the wrinkle that they're all here. Like there's just a <laughs> shit ton of Marvel characters here uh that, that you're hanging out with. So it's also got the whole giant crossover uh issue storyline, uh, which can be good or bad. But like it is very like the amount of time. I spend hanging out and just shooting the shit with other superheroes versus out there on missions, playing little card game. I would say it's like three to one. It is like three to one hanging out to card games. And I don't know that that's the wrong move, but it is like that. This is the other, I think even more significant. uh, This is even more significant, different difference from XCOM XCOM. Everything's sort of, pointed back toward the mission right like everything is about all right redeploy resources reinvest whatever you're doing priorities. in the met in like the meta layer is affecting yeah your the strategic like the, what you're
2: doing mission to mission that does not appear <laughs> to be the case bro i mean there are things that are impacted you're spending time i don't know but when you spend time with characters is that just unlocking cosmetic stuff or is that actually unlocking i, I have additional- not
1: figured out I've yet to get any real benefits from friendship mm-hmm. levels I assume okay. there will be like special cards or something uh the the main thing that you seem to get is and this is where the deck builder thing does come into play because i was I was saying on the show last week i was I was struggling to see where where it really came in so as you train up characters and you get more cards issued for them every car every every character has a set of equipped cards that they bring that will become part of your play deck on a mission. But then also you have the possibility of you will unlock more cards uh for those characters, which means you will want to swap what's in that that roster. And also you will have opportunities to upgrade uh these cards. So you get two copies of one card, you can sort of merge them together and get like a better version of of that basic card uh that can now be in your deck. And that is that seems to be what points you toward Uh, like maintain like investing time and resources in these relationships is that stuff does create opportunities to generate events that like you know result in more cards result in chances to increase the power of one character Uh, now it also feels to me a little bit like I'm running into not necessarily a problem but it's the XCOM thing where we're talking about you know, XCOM, it's all about the bench, right? About developing your bench. What's the equivalent of that? Uh, it's about the quality of the, the deck that these characters are are walking around with that they're bringing into missions. Like, because like Blade is cool and incre- like Blade has a ton of like chain attacks and like that yeah. lifesteal ability is game-changing like it's like oh blades hurt it's the it's no, the call not. Ambulance, <laughs> but not for me uh, thing where it's like oh blades blades down like you know 10 hit points uh he's about to just demolish somebody and get like 40 <laughs> hit points back and so i've got like i've put a lot of resources into blade and now blade's deck is like noticeably better than other characters even of a similar level because blade just has like better versions of his base cards and has some cool stuff in his in his hand so that that, making you not want to use other characters as a result right right. because it's like now the thing is the game spams enough enemies at you that it is very hard to keep characters from getting knocked in these fights like you've seen it right like Mm -hmm. there's the there's the regular trash enemies that take one hit and they just die, but if you do not clear them from the board, they do full damage uh, to your characters. Yeah, and the
2: and the game each turn, at least in the encounters I had, like like for example the the one I was talking about where uh, you have to destroy, like this helicopter is, is lifted. There's one mission where it's like there's an artifact that you have to grab yeah. uh, there's another mission where like there's a helicopter taking off and you have to do X amount of damage to that helicopter before it leaves Um and in a And you have that as the main objective, but then you also have the enemies on the board. There's the one hit ones and it's sort of like the elite like enemies that take a lot more damage. Uh, Every turn that passes, reinforcements show up. And the only way to stop the reinforcements from showing up is to to finish the main objective, because then what usually happens is the game says, hey, now clear the board. So you are the, the tension is between wanting to have the mob like kind of cleared out. But also doing that main objective so that the mob will stop adding up. Right. Like it's a bucket filling. And that, that, it, there are times where like I've done that main objective. I think on the, on the helicopter one and I had like 12, 13 enemies left on the board. Unfortunately, I had like a blade chain one. Yeah. Like I had Captain Marvel had a laser that I could, you know, shoot across the screen. I kind of saved those screen fillers for that, for that moment. But. I imagine that's where a lot of the tension is going to be derived out of the game as it goes along is trying to stretch your attention between this objective and the mobs that are stacking over time.
1: Yeah, like the it can. It is a game where like the snowball can get away from you and it like your heroes aren't squishy. But if you are just letting these platoons of Hydra soldiers just like line up firing squads like you're going to have characters going down Uh, plot like. I think one one battle where it started to really click for me, where some of this gets interesting and challenging, was uh, it was a non-critical story mission that the character I had to bring on it was a uh, what is what's her name Nico, yeah, uh, and she's a caster type, and stupidly I was like, you want know to be cool is if like she and strange go on this mission two casters <laughs> like a caster adventure uh no that's too like much magic two, too much magic Two mages in your dnd party like taking on an orc army or something it was just like no like and then and then blade was there and so there was no healing except for blades lifesteal so blade could heal blade <laughs> but there was no healing beyond that Nico's skill set by design, because of like like she has the staff, the staff of one that like can mm-hmm. cast any spell but only do it once, so the the idea is like every action she does has like like has a degree of randomness or random effects mm-hmm. being uh being put on it, and so she's kind of a character where what is happening with her feels a little bit unreliable, like her base damage is not super interesting, but things can sort of stack and get pretty powerful. <laughs> But then Strange Mm. is doing the same thing where Strange is like about pulling cards into your deck and then unloading like nukes effectively. But the problem is he and Nico both drew heavily from the same heroic like resource pool. And Mm -hmm. so like if one was powered up, the other was not. (laughs) And so like I had a battle where like it was it was all trash mobs. There was no there there was like, you know, there were the elites with the hit points, but there's no boss in this battle. It was just a ton of like Just
2: waves, yeah,
1: yeah, and it was really dicey. I had to retry that mission, uh, like like at least once because it was turning into a bloodbath because I was not clearing the board fast enough to keep my characters up. And once they get knocked, you know, their their card's just dead in your hand. You can't you can't do anything with that. And Uh, does that carry over to the next? Like, are they uh KO'd for a mission? Like, is there any you knock effect? You can bring them out, but I think if you play them injured, it's a bit like XCOM where they start with like lower okay. hit points. And there might be other things that happen. I just, I need, I need to put a hurt character in the lineup just to see what happens. Yeah, uh, the game strongly discourages it, and you got a big <laughs> enough bench that. It, well, that shouldn't have to. Maybe, but there's a lot of battles where like I'm finding it hard to keep characters from getting knocked, and the tempo is pretty fast. So I could see a situation where like, yep, sorry, like three or four of my you know, go to characters that I know to play really, really well are just not available, and so now it's kind of uh, you know the tag ends of the superhero lineup. What's up, magic? You want to want to get out there? <laughs> There's magic. I think the other thing that I I, I do find kind of cool, and you'll you'll see this a little bit with Spider Man, um, like. There's actually a pretty decent job of having the cards express what the characters are. Yeah, Spider Man's annoying. Like his, his 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 the the cards he has allow you to cycle more cards into your hand, mm. and he has lots of little like stuns or uh like uh like small chains. But he doesn't he doesn't do a ton of damage. He just like is really really flexible. <laughs> just a little fly. Just spinning around, hitting you a bunch of times, but he's good in your lineup because yep. him being there creates so much flexibility that your other characters being around Spider-Man, their best cards are cycling through way faster. Well, yeah, so and like, it, I don't think we mentioned this in the, in the, in the the previous impressions, but
2: like there are like these neat mechanics where there are cards you can play where you get a, a play back, right? So you can, uh, even if you have uh, heroic points to spend, you also have a limit on how many card actions you can play per turn, but there are certain cards that, if you play and they're successful, in, say killing an enemy, you will both you will you will then get another card. Knocking him back.
1: out, nobody nobody dies. Don't you worry about getting <laughs> knocked out. No sex and nobody nobody dies. <laughs> Blade Blade staked that guy, but he was fine. He just like went to sleep. Like Blade Blade flew th- it, like fell sixty feet through the air and jammed a stake in that guy's chest, but like that just like. You know, popped his shoulder out of his out of its socket. He's fine. Uh well I think that's enough. We should we, we uh yeah, get people set up for
2: the for the interview for with Jake?
1: Yeah, let's let's get let's uh take a quick break and get into the conversation with Jake Solomon after this.
0: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: Now we are joined by Fraxus's Jake Solomon, director of XCOM and most recently Marvel's Midnight
3: Suns. Uh, Jake, welcome to the show. I am very very happy to be here, uh, with with two like stalwarts. I you know again I haven't talked to you since the XCOM days. <laughs> I, I know both of you from way back. Yeah. Um. So, oh, go ahead, Rob.
1: Well, I I wanted to just ask about I, I you know. It's a good time to dig through people's old tweets. Oh, I was going to do things, this one. You stole it from me. You stole I found from
2: it. Me. I know you did. Okay. I thought you were going to be a coward, though, and you weren't going to do it.
1: So okay, oh, no, right. no, 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 no. <laughs> I'd like to we, uh, apologize. Jake, for we apologize have for to address this. Us. I didn't
3: realize that word was offensive when I used it. What is this? What is this? Uh, uh, ambushing so me with my old tweets On
1: December 3rd, 2021. Okay. <laughs> okay. Solomon Jake on Twitter. I'm not really into card games but fights in tight spaces is a bunch of fun.
3: <laughs> yes, that was a little tongue in cheek. I probably should have talked shit about Marvel Snap, frankly. Because, um yeah, when I when I met Ben, uh we were we were at a com- a D23 at the Disney conference, and I was like, ugh, I was like, Marvel end cards. I was like, come on, man. Um but yeah, yeah, yes, that's true. That was a little tongue in cheek. I did like fights in tight spaces though, yeah.
2: Well, I I you know, I but, but it made me wonder um, d- how much of that tweet is illustrative of your own relationship to games that involve cards, video games? Like that's a very pop. You know, the roguelike deck builder is a meme, on our podcast because we have several folks that are any new one of those come out, uh, they're into it. I'm le- I'm l- I'm less into those. I like cards. I'm fine with cards, but it's not necessarily something that sets off a light bulb for me. And so I was just curious, like where is your relationship with cards, games with cards that arrives at you at the place where you're making a game that has cards in it
3: right so there's two sides to that there's there's like my my side as a player and my side as a um designer and so i think that um, my side as a player like i yeah i i don't have like this deep history with card games like i was never like a magic player um but i did play games like slave the aspire there's there are certain card games that are just that are they transcend, you know, whatever the medium they use to like convey their design. Um, and so, um, I played Slave Aspire and because of that, specifically because of Slave Aspire, um, Marvel had, uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns has cards in it. Um, specifically in due to that me playing that game. <laughs> um, but like recently, like I've played Inscription, which I think is one of the greatest games made recently. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not a like, oh, like, marvel snap which i've heard nothing but phenomenal things about like i have not played very much of um that's probably hits too close to home it's probably just too much (laughs) like you know doing your homework i don't know but um like hearthstone i played but i wasn't like a big hearthstone guy
1: i'm i'm curious is there is there gloomhaven influence on this because this thing swept through my game groups like uh, a brush fire on it, honestly. Uh, and it was, it was cool, but I will say it was also a, a very slow burn. It was like one of those things where a lot of people like Gloomhaven is awesome. And it was, it was cool, but yeah, for me, it was a little, it was a little bit of a slow burn. But when I play this, I definitely see like the, uh, so the way sort of the deck is built through the modular way you sort of build up the things your characters bring to the table. Uh, definitely was like, you know, Wave some Gloomha- Gloomhaven flags uh, for me. I was curious if you or the team had. No, it. I
3: have. I've never. That's one of those games where it's like people say you have to play, and I have never played Gloomhaven. You don't, and, and it probably sounds disingenuous because <laughs> you're like, you're like, that's exactly what your game is doing, and I'm like, I, I've never played a, I've never played a round of Gloomhaven, but I swear I've never played Gloomhaven. Um, no, um, but so now I'll have to play it. But um, no, I, I, I think that. Cards as a designer have always fascinated me. So I've always made, you know, obviously I've, I've, I've made, um, uh, video games and I always try to play. I'm not a huge like board game player or card game player, but when I play them, I'm so intimidated by how good of designers these board game guys are (laughs) and these card game designers are where they have so less to work with i'm lazy right like as video game designer i'm like yeah it's fine the computer will do all the math take care <laughs> of all that and we'll do some flashy animations on that it'll be fun um and then i'll play like a card game or a board game and i'll be like oh my god how do these guys do it like it feels amazing and you know and they they have so fewer tools so i i was always interested in card games. And in fact, what I do is, um, I read a lot of board game rules. Um, I don't play mm-hmm. the games. I just read the rules because then I'm like, Oh, that's a fascinating way to, to use design. Um, and so it's always kind of like inspirational for me, but we, we definitely did not intend like card games were like a lot of things. I think design wise, like it was kind of like your fault. You're like drowning. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and you're like, This game, uh, so when we started, I I genuinely thought we were going to make Marvel XCOM, right? So I thought we'd make XCOM, and we put superheroes in it, um, and it would work out awesome. Um, And so we made XCOM, and we put superheroes in and it was terrible. It was so bad, because the fantasy of being a superhero um, conflicts so heavily with the design systems of XCOM, where in XCOM, you're a soldier— uh, you're very tactical, and you're fighting a superior enemy, and so you're taking cover, um you know, and these soldiers can die. And these are very important parts of the game, and they can, you know, it's it's memeable at this point, but their abilities, you know, they have a percentage chance to fail. All of those things, you know, they move on a grid. All these things, we were like, oh, man, you know what? Let's get rid of that, because that. It, it, Heroes aren't going to die. Okay, let's get rid of that. Taking cover. No, Captain Marvel's not going to take cover. Right? So <laughs> let, let's get rid of that. Like, Iron Man's not going to like, oh, he's about to shoot some Hydra grunt, and then he misses his shot at the last minute. Let's get rid of that. And then what I realized is that, like, about two weeks in, like, we, everyone was really, really hyped about um, the game and what we were doing. And then two weeks in, we're like, we have pulled out basically all the fundamentals <laughs> <laughs> of our game, and we were left going, like, well, then what is this thing from a design standpoint? And so we had to say, okay, we have to start building up from scratch. And so cards came in because we were looking for a way to kind of turn XCOM on its head. So thematically, You know, XCOM was about, oh, you're this, you're a soldier and you're, you're weaker than the enemy you're facing. And we said, no, superheroes are stronger than the enemies they're facing. And so we were kind of flipping everything on its head. Um, and we realized that we have to use randomness. Randomness is a very important part of tactics games. You know, we think every turn we're trying to present the player with an interesting puzzle. Um, a puzzle that's almost unending and randomness is a really important part of that, but we can't use randomness the way we used it in Nexcom where you're missing shots um, or you're doing random amounts of damage that just felt bad. And so we said, we have to find a way to introduce randomness. And then I'd been playing Slave Aspire and I said, ah, this is interesting. Like the abilities do exactly what they say they're going to do, but the randomness, the thing that makes it an interesting puzzle is that every turn you cannot depend on any one ability being in your hand. So that's where cards came in Um, and it wasn't intended from the beginning, but, and it was a little bit of a controversial thing when even internally, when I said like, all right, I've got an idea.
2: (laughs) Someone, someone takes the latest fire away from, away from Jake.
3: (laughs) I mean, it was definitely a rumbling of like, what are we doing now? So, um,
1: yeah, I mean, I I definitely sort of expected for, for a long time, like, yeah, it'll be Marvel XCOM uh i did kind of wonder what it'd be like to have a bunch of avengers die uh trooping off the helicarrier or something like that that'd be that'd be weird uh but i think the you know the the question i have is like you know when you're realizing this this concept you know marvel XCOM, uh, that doesn't work that doesn't that's that's not fun and it's not getting at the at, at the fantasy it's not really it doesn't feel authentic to the uh to to the source how far into this process are you? Because for, for me, I think like I hear that and I get antsy because I, you know, now you're working with the Marvel license. There's a lot of, there's a lot of eyes on this project and you go through the prototyping phase. You just you
2: pitch Marvel at, on, we're going to do yeah. Marvel
1: XCOM and then you go,
2: nah, I don't know. I think we should have some cars. kind of sucks.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, we were, I mean, uh, the funny thing is i mean it's kind of an illustration of i mean i can say it as a joke now it definitely wasn't a joke when it happened but Mm -hmm. it it is a kind of a sign of how uh, i mean you could look at it two ways either one is like uh i'm kind of an idiot and then two is like man games it is really difficult to predict which way the design is going to go because it was probably within a couple of months that we realized None of these systems are working and we have to, we, we started by making a paper prototype, right? So the team was already, we're experimenting with art styles and, and, and we've got to like stand up a digital prototype. So we weren't even worrying about that. Me and a couple of designers were making a paper prototype using, I don't know if you guys know what HeroClix is, like this old Marvel, like mm-hmm. these little figurines that you could like snap the, yeah. You know. So we were playing with HeroClix figures and we would just say like, okay, let's make a tabletop version of a, tactical superhero game. Um, and so that was that was like maybe two or three months into it when we were like, we got to get rid of all these old XCOM systems. Um, and yeah, it was a moment of... Now, the thing is, we didn't get the cards until much later because we were still holding on to, you know, we have all these tools from XCOM. Let's give every hero, like, they have three abilities and they they can each... Take, a, you know, each of them can take a move and they can take an action. All this old XCOM stuff. What,
2: what does much later mean? Is that like a year? Is that like a year and a half?
3: Okay. So what I remember is I, I distinctly, you, you get those flashbulb memories. I remember walking out of um the movie Black Panther. So I, this is like, okay, this is really uh, inside baseball here. I would go to all the MCU movies by myself during the day. Right. So I would just watch them. I've watched them all like by myself during the day. I've got to go see, I haven't seen Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. I've got to go before my game comes out. <laughs> um, like I started developing this and we went to see, uh, you know, Spider-Man homecoming. They have made a trio of Spider-Man movies before <laughs> our game has come. So, um, <laughs> I remember walking out of uh, Black Panther, and movie I loved, and then I was like, I was thinking about the cards and how we were just now implementing cards. And I was like, I had this feeling of like, man, I wish I had known this early. I wish I had had this idea so much earlier than we did. But again, I think that, that when did when did Black Panther come out? I'm, I'm going to look that 2018. up right now. It's a four, yeah, roughly four years ago, yeah. Okay, yeah. So maybe maybe nine months into development was it like
1: Patrick? I think it's closer to five years (laughs) because it came out in the in the winter. Oh right, because that that comes out January of eighteen. January. Then uh, Captain Marvel comes. Yeah, and then yeah. So we
3: really started um, in late twenty seventeen. So yeah, it must have been. It actually that makes me feel better. I think we got to the card idea much earlier. It wasn't implemented, but I think that as designers we started talking about it. Like, what if we used a card model um and we didn't share that with the rest of the team because we were like they're they're really gonna be like we better come at them with something really good before we like <laughs> you know ruin everybody's monday with a. um and so um yeah i think we started talking about it, but it was one of those ideas once we did it and we started putting things up on a whiteboard and we were like oh my god like this solves so many of our problems and oh my god we could design this character like this or we could design this character like this and so um yeah, that, so yeah, it happened pretty early then, I guess, early 2018. When you decided you want to start using
2: cards, do you remember the first card you started writing? Because I imagine reading rules, like playing card games, thinking you understand how card rules work is is probably fundamentally different than sitting down, and I'm going to start writing what a card is, how that interacts with the systems you're trying to build. I'm just curious what the creative process was like when you like had to actually sit and write a card. And if you remember what like your first card you were trying to figure out was going to be.
3: Uh, we have a, a first playable. We showed it to the team just a couple of weeks ago. Like, Hey, do you guys remember the game looked like this? Um, so the first things we did were, um, and this was a bad idea. We, we had, um, these cards and they were all generic. So any hero could use the cards. Um, and so, it was it was a really bad idea. So none of the <laughs> cards were specific to the heroes. They were all like uh shoot or you know a punch or whatever it is. And so we had really really basic um ideas, but we realized pretty quickly cards should never do the fun thing about cards the the really great thing about cards um is that your design can get so explicit it can get really complex in a in a very straightforward way where you can just look at it and say like oh i know what this thing does and so your attacks and your w- whatever you're doing can always do multiple things because it says you can have keywords you can do all these really fun things design wise so i think pretty quickly you know again we had like i don't know i, I forget what the first abilities were but um But yeah, it was something like real generic cards. Any hero could use them, and it was such a bad idea. And then we started saying like, well, let's mix generic cards with, okay, you know, heroes have their own specific cards. And then very quickly we realized, all right, no, we should just have every hero has their own deck of cards. Um, And so I think it progressed pretty quickly, but that was purely the tactical side of things. But it was a moment when our first playable, and I don't remember when it was, but where it was a mechanic that I think everybody was like, well, OK, you could actually play it. And you're like, this is actually pretty fun, which when you're early on, <laughs> when you play something, you're like, this ain't bad. You're like, <laughs> you're like, OK, we can in a couple years, we can actually make this pretty good. You got to <laughs> just hope like it's not good. And you're not like, oh, this is a this is an amazing design. But you're like, eh, this, it's not bad to play this this game. And so you're like, OK, in a couple of years, surely we can make this great.
1: I am curious in all of this, how much does uh, someone from like Marvel have to be across like creative decisions you're making like re- regarding game design and narrative? I imagine those are both handled differently, but, I, but I'm curious, like as this has evolved, how much do they have to be kept in the loop? Where do you have to like involve them?
3: Yeah, and that that's a good question. So. they're they're handled very differently game design uh marvel is extremely hands-off right and so what they've always said to us is that hey they approached us right and so they were like we're partnering with people we want them to make they always said like tell us the game you want to make and then we're going to help you make that game right and it's it's funny because marvel being i don't know i assume the most powerful ip in the world narrative ip at least in the world um I was very nervous about that when we started because I love – I'm a very hardcore comics guy, so I was excited about it, but I was terrified because I've never worked with IP. Like, is somebody going to be telling me how to, like, design games? And and when it came to the game design, they played it all the time, and they had feedback, but the feedback was never binding on a gameplay sense. They just said, hey, this is what we feel when we play the game. Um, so narrative, of course – far far more involved with us to say like hey you know I re- always remember they had a great piece of feedback which was when we get scripts from you guys um and they weren't like overly they weren't oppressive like they they would say like write your scripts first then send them to us then we'll talk about them and they would just say you know just remember when we get scripts we want to be able to close our eyes And have somebody read the line in a monotone, and we should be able to say, like, oh, that's Tony Stark talking. Oh, that's Doctor Strange talking. Like, just read the line. That's Peter Parker. Like, we should be able to guess pretty well. And, you know, we have a lot of characters in the game, but it was really good feedback of, like, hey, remember to, like, keep these characters' personalities so clear in the lines of dialogue they deliver. But they were... And I'm not saying this because, like, you know, Kevin Feige will have me disappear. <laughs> by, they they genuinely like they were so awesome to work. With. I mean, they were so awesome to work with. And, and gameplay wise, they were just supportive. They play the game and they they understood the process. And they're like, yeah, you guys will get there. Um, so yeah, they were great.
2: Uh you, um, Rob and I were talking about this recently after having played a couple hours of this and the the Guardians of the Galaxy game that came out. Uh last year, earlier this year, I'm um, time compresses it was last year last year. um, what was really interesting about the writing of that game is that it's clearly building off you know the public's reception of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, popularizing characters that were not well known to the public. Maybe some version of it was known to you know diehard comic readers. and it did this really interesting job of definitely trying to leverage, hey, we know this is really popular. These characters are popular because of these films, but how can we carve out an identity? For our own as writers, as creators, make these characters both our own without betraying like what James Gunn did and those actors did to make this. So I'm how do you handle that element of, well, we want to take ownership of these characters within the realm of knowing that's already an IP that you're in a sandbox, but it's impossible to ignore the popular perceptions of some of these characters made by iron man robert Downey junior you have a little more leeway with you know a blade um where like there hasn't been like a real cinematic imprint yet but how did that how does that change how you approach the characters think about these so characters patrick
3: how dare you wesley snipes will be on you like <laughs> nobody's <laughs> business but you
2: know i if he shows no, up to my know. door and uh asks awesome. for my you know I, I'll, I'll be fine with that <laughs>
3: Um, no, it's, it's a weird, it is a, a weird thing too. so what, so my narrative director and I, so my narrative director, Chad Rocco and I, like, we are really, really kind of peas in a pod because we're like, we've been reading Marvel comics for like almost four decades now. Like we are very hard, very hardcore comics guys. And so, um, that helped. So when we immediately started talking with Marvel, like, again, Marvel didn't say like, you should do this story. You should use these characters there. They said like, we love XCOM. So they, they came to us because they, they were like, we love XCOM. And you know, people say that in the industry sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, that's nice of you to say, you know, you're like, I don't know how many game executives <laughs> really like XCOM. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe it. I think it's very nice, but I never believe it. And then, but I got onto my first call with Marvel games just to kind of like have a conversation. And they had the most like in-depth like gripes about some soldier abilities. And they were talking about <laughs> like uh, they'd take they'd made a Marvel Games team. So the, the vice president of Marvel, Jaeong, who who runs Marvel Games, like he he had made a Marvel Games team and taken them all the way through the game. And they were talking about who lived and who died. And he was and I was like, oh, no, these guys actually know what we do. And so that was nice because, you know, I, I think that they they came to us and said, we know what, what kind of games you guys do. And then I was like, yeah, I'm a very hardcore um, Marvel Comics guy. Um, and so when we first started talking, we felt very comfortable with each other. And they never said, like, tell this story, use these characters, don't use these characters. there was never, never any of that. It was tell us what story you want to tell them. And then I said, okay. And then we went away, my narrative director and I. And we were talking about all these old comics we loved because we wanted to be so far from the MCU as we could get, right? Like we didn't want to touch that. It's so big. And so And now we wanted some characters that were in the MCU because of their popularity, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't want to tell an MCU story. And so we just went back to the comics that we loved growing up. And and he and I loved, I loved anti-heroes like in the late 80s, early 90s. And so we loved Ghost Rider. And so we were talking about this awesome Ghost Rider story. Um, and so <clears throat> I remember it, like th- there was this night where Rocco, Rocco is my, he's the most like New York, of course, right? Chad Rocco, you know, he's, <laughs> he's this, uh, awesome. He's always wearing a Yankee said, Hey, he's got this, you know, very distinct <laughs> voice. you know you wouldn't, you'd either think he runs numbers, right? Or more he like, um. You wouldn't think that he's like this hardcore comics nerd uh, narrative. Well, this just is like,
2: like not to derail you, but every time they do a presentation for oh, what's that new the, the, from the original Dead Space, uh, Callisto Protocol, yeah. and the head of Strike Striking Distance Studios, I think, I think is their studio. Like whenever he comes, out, same sort Scofield, of thing. Yeah. Yes, it's just like who who is this man? He does not run a video game studio, but I'm glad he's here talking like he does. Same same sort of vibe.
3: Rocco is all New York and he's just like anyway so I remember it was this guy so we were talking and I guarantee when Rocco and I get together it's bad we're probably half in the bag and we were up so late and my whiteboard was just a mess and we realized we kept talking about the same comic book event called Rise of the Midnight Suns and I would say I love I love the comic it is so awesome but I I I have said to people multiple times, like I wouldn't recommend reading it because unless you're like a hardcore comics person from the nineties, cause it's so bonkers, but we just kept coming back to it. We're like, do you remember this character? Remember this character? And we realized we really want to tell this story. And so we went back to Marvel and we were like, we want to do rise of the midnight suns. And they were like, you, you want to do what? They're like, <laughs> they're like, you want to do midnight suns? And we're like, yeah, we love that comic. Like we loved it. I have, I have my copies of the original Midnight Suns comic run here. And I was like, that's the story we want to tell. And they were like, and they were excited because they were like, nobody's talking about that. (laughs) Don't worry. That story is Kevin Feige's got nothing to do with it right right. now. (laughs) Now, this is the problem, though. When you take five years to make a video game, uh, what happens is that all of your deep cut narrative things that you come up with, eventually that Marvel Machine, the (laughs) machine is going to catch up with you. So we're like, Oh, yeah, we're going to have all these characters. We're going to have this book called the Darkhold and like Scarlet Witch. And we're going to have Agatha Harkness. And well, they just so- had the Werewolf by <laughs> Night.
2: They just but had the Werewolf like- by Night series, yeah. too, where they bringing we're like- in the monsters. We're like,
3: nobody's going to touch this <laughs> stuff,
1: <laughs> you know? Oh, shit. Because, yeah, this is the funny thing is, like, I didn't bat an eye when they st- first refer to Agatha because that uh WandaVision show. Yeah like made agatha sort of a household marvel name overnight yeah and like this is a character i'd seen referred to
3: obliquely in the comics she was like a she was a fantastic four character she was a nanny to the fantastic four children so we have a statue there's a statue on the grounds of the abbey where she's standing there and she's holding her cat and that is an easter egg to the first panel she appeared in the fantastic four and i was like i loved agatha harkness but i was like yeah I was like, I want to do all these deep cuts. And then we kept seeing this, like, Marvel machine inch closer. And so, because you're right, WandaVision, uh, Rocco and I, after every episode of WandaVision came out, like, in the morning, he would call me and be like, oh, he's like, I, I know that book's the Darkhold. It's going to be, that's Agatha Harkness. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And then it's like, shit. I watched an episode. I was like, that's definitely Agatha Harkness. I like, that's Darkhold. I was like, damn it. This is all, like. We're like when are we coming out? When is when is that Doctor Strange movie coming out? Like who's gonna be the first one to?
2: Does your lore have to go deep? It's like okay, the Easter eggs—they're not cutting it. Shit's not cutting it. We gotta
3: go deeper. <laughs> we gotta go deeper, man. Nobody remembers Moon Knight. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah, um, yeah, that was kind of funny because we have nothing. We have I have no insight to the 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 way they're the the move the stories are telling the movies and so we were just like oh man they're getting pretty close (laughs) to some of the things we're doing in our game but it was great because you know again the Marvel games people they were just like they were so supportive of like there's a story you want to tell these are the characters you want we get to be a universe game so that's the idea is um, our game can use any character across the entire Marvel universe so if you make an Avengers game you make a Spider Man game. They're going to pull in certain characters, and they have to make sense. And for us, we were we were lucky to make a universe game where it's like okay, like the we can't have too many characters from one family, but we can pull in from everywhere, which was really really fun.
1: When you like playing this game, I, I think something that jumped out at me, or at least in terms of the way it feels to me, is that I haven't read a ton of the comics from that period, so mostly I like I I did feel like I was dealing with. Uh, I've read enough comics where I've seen other takes on Doctor Strange, where I was like, "Okay, this is recognizably not really MCU Doctor Strange. This is more the dude I've seen on the page. And I assume similar things were going on with other other characters. But I'm kind of curious when, when you're when we're thinking about these characterizations and like writing this game. I'm curious, like, what do you think is different about the the way these characters existed in in earlier areas of comics versus how they've uh, been processed into the mcu the only way i can think of is like it's all a little bit like messier but also more like family soap opera stakes in in some places but it's hard to put my finger on it's but the characters do feel noticeably different from the way they exist in mcu that's neither good nor bad about the mcu it's just they feel different
3: i think that in the i I wouldn't even know how they go about doing their characters in the mcu but like if characters have to carry a movie, I think they all have to be like super heroic, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then we throw them all together and we can be like, no, let's not, we don't want everybody to be alpha, right? Like it's, so we wanted a doctor. I'm used to Dr. Strange being this incredibly powerful character, but he's a little bit foppish. He's a little bit like yeah, fancy. And we, and I want to lean so hard into that where we're like, well, I mean, he's named after his. His middle name, it's, it's actually Stephen Vincent Price. And that's because. Um, when Stanley created the character, he was thinking of you know Vincent. or I'm sorry, uh, Stephen Vincent Strange. He was thinking of Vincent Price, the the, the old. I don't that know, makes it?
2: that makes so. I I did not know that little factoid. That makes so
3: much sense in Ratchos. The old comics, he looks like they just Vincent drew Vincent Price. Price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was like, I love that. And he was always to me was like vaudeville. So we kept saying vaudeville. So our Doctor Strange, and I know we knew that doing that was. Uh, a a risk in the sense of people like well benedict cumberbatch is like a cool he's like this really cool dr strange and but i remember him the comics being like oh oh, oh," like he'll like (laughs) flutter in and was very powerful but there's this there's this comic panel that i i loved and it was in the original midnight sons comic dr strange like builds this team the midnight sons ghost rider and morbius and all these people blade he pulls them together and he like at one moment in the middle of the comics, he's building his team, and that he and Lilith face off pretty early in the comic. And he says to her, "Lilith, if you and I were to face each other right now, the powers of our energies would destroy the world. So I cannot face you." Ha! ha. And he like flies <laughs> away. And you're like, what the? What are you doing? Like, you're just gonna leave? And so I just always remember it was this very vaudeville character, and so I wanted to lean into that. To, and again, part of that is us uh, writing narrative. We just wanted to get like. It's very dangerous to get close to the MCU because the star power and, and they're they really did a great job of, of capturing those characters. Like, I mean, come on, Robert Downey Jr. When, when we always knew, like, if I say Captain America, you know, 90 percent of people aren't going to think, oh, yeah, the comics, they're going to think yeah, it's Chris Evans. It's the movies. And that's fine. That's fine. But the danger is like trying to, like, get too close in the wake of that or too close to the sun there and, and people being like, oh, that's like um not not
2: knock, knock off chris evans as opposed right, to right.
3: and th- and that, and that,
2: yeah and, th- and that seemed like that like the guardians game pulled that off really well and i have to imagine that was a similar challenge for for all of you is like how do you evoke it without seeming like you're <laughs> D- D- list uh, chris chris evans which is no knock to the voice actor or the writing it's just what people are going to do when they see um you know it kind of reminds me of like the earlier licensed video games right where it's like oh i can't use the actors license cuz they can't afford it not because they didn't want to
3: right exactly and so yeah so you try to like lean into the characters a little more and and we we were and we tried to lean away from the movies and say look this is what's cool about them in the comics and let's not make everybody perfect let's like try to find cracks you know even captain marvel let's try to do find ways where it's like not everybody's this like perfect leading person so um you know and yeah, I think it's it's jarring for people. Some people really like it. Some people, you know, I'm sure it's jarring when they're like, whoa, this Doctor Strange is, is very different than, you know, Mr. Cumberbatch or whatever.
2: <laughs> uh, the thing that definitely took me aback in the five or six hours that I've played was I knew this game had a bigger story focus that you'd be like kind of running around. There were dialogue trees. Like I hadn't been exposed to too much of the previous stuff. So it was kind of like exciting to just dig into it and kind of be surprised on my own. But I have to admit, I was like, genuinely taken aback by how much of the game is that. And so, as someone, you know, XCOM has, you know, has a story, uh, but this is like fundamentally on a different level of ambition and scope. And as someone that, you know, you're just talking about how like this game began with, you know, a paper prototype. I'm sh- I'm sure you're familiar with doing that in the past. Was there, I don't know, was it were there apprehension like scared to be working on something where, hey, this game, even if the combat's good like if the story and the writing suck like there's a lot of it here like we need to keep people engaged did you feel like how confident were you going in I can also direct a game with a huge story and it's going to be an important element of whether people find this
3: game engaging or not um I mean I think that uh, I was totally apprehensive but it wasn't different from I mean, it's it's one of those things where I'm I'm used to it now, but um, one of the things that's I, that I find challenging about game development is that, like, every time, especially, like, if I was making, I don't know, XCOM 7 or something, I probably would be, like, way more confident. But it's like, we're going to make... Once we knew, we're like, oh, we got to design a whole new tactics game, it just feels like you're starting... All of that is apprehensive. You're like, oh, man, like, I didn't want to, like, design a new tactics game. And so, like, the narrative part... It was like, well, it felt the same where you're like, well, we're doing something new. Like when you sign up to do something new, you're kind of like, we are back at square zero. So it's all the same kind of feeling of like, Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not a particularly, I mean, I'm confident in the sense of, you know, I, I, my team does amazing work and things like that, but I'm never, I'm always a like, oh my God, like if we don't, you know, like games are when you're working on games like they're not good like you are working on something you're like this game is not fun it doesn't look good it doesn't play well like for the life for the majority of a game's title you're sitting there working on something you're like if this went out today like we'd all be doomed (laughs) and so you're you're constantly like trying to get the plane to take off right like it's this crazy experience making a game and so but it's you're right. It's particularly apprehensive when you say like, oh, we're going to have all this scripted narrative, which I have um, very little experience. with. Well, my,
2: my thought was like, at least with a paper prototype or even like the early days of building a game, it's like a thing you can move around. You know, like there are elements, whereas right like not that writing doesn't come together in, in that sort of way, but it's, it's just different in terms of how you're interacting with it and how you can sort of judge where is it going. Um, as, as opposed to, you know, playing with a playable prototype, whether it's in uh, running an unreal or you're playing with little, you know, uh, hero clicks figures.
3: Yes. I mean, you're right. And and so I think like my, my narrative director Rocco had worked on scripted narrative games before. So I just had to trust in the people we had who had worked on games like that, because I hadn't been a part of it. like, all right, let's get over. You are going to use index cards. We're going to lay out all these beats. And at the same time, I'm saying like, well, the game has to do this at this point. So the narrative kind of has to fold to the game. Um, And that's just typical for, like, for Axis games, or at least my team, the XCOM team and Midnight Suns, is nothing ever, nothing supplants, like, the game. We're like, the gameplay has to happen at this. I want these characters to unlock at this point. I need these abilities here. And so the narrative kind of has to go, all right, well, okay, let's come (laughs) up with a twist for why this happened. (laughs) Um, So it was this real big push and pull thing. But, yeah, I mean, it was that was um i mean it 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 took us a long time to make this game for those reasons like because then it was like now we're making an rpg and we're like we don't know how to make an rpg and now we've got all this exploration around the abbey and so there were all those moments where yeah it it was it was like there were multiple fronts where we're like my gosh we have to we have to build a lot of this from scratch
1: i'm curious like how much of did that expertise like obviously you're learning kind of a, as you go but I, but i'm curious how much of a reach it was for a studio like like for uh is this is the sort of thing where you have to staff up uh in area like just recruit people who do have experience with these systems or was there a lot of like latent uh, ability interest with
3: within the studio uh both but yeah i mean this is you know this team is twice the size of you know the XCOM team you know i think yeah. it's it's we, we 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 staffed up considerably and, and a lot of that was in like let's find people with expertise and we partner with so many and of course 2k helps us because most games do have more like scripted narrative and they're like yeah. oh yeah you want you want to tell a story like <laughs> that's wonderful um so yeah we were able to like work with 2K and, and 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 studios there and and there were a lot more resources there and so but yeah there was a ton of hiring um and it was interesting just because and again I think with with Midnight Suns we stayed we always stay gameplay first we always stay gameplay first when we think about okay tactical and even in the Abbey we're always thinking design systems first um and so that always kind of led us to where it never felt it never felt like we weren't making a Firaxis game or an XCOM team game, it felt like we're still making the kind of games we make, but this one obviously um, adds a bunch of elements we've never done before.
1: One thing, because we were talking before the show, uh, you know, sort of realizing that I interviewed you for the XCOM reveal, like, I think more than a decade now ago, a a, a realization. But the, the funny thing is that I was thinking about this and I was, I was remembering when we spoke and I think some of the just the way people talked about like, you know, you you taking on XCOM and and uh you know taking this on as a project, the funny thing is, you know, it to me it feels like fairly recent because it was also the start of my career, but it was like, you know, you were kind of like not the new guy at Fraxis, but like a yeah, young designer, yeah. et cetera. And I'm just curious, how does the experience like what is your experience of working there now that like time has passed and you're one of the old heads and you're leading huge, huge projects like this? When did it sink in that you were you were one of the veterans? And does does time pass weirdly when you're sort of deep into projects like this uh for like years at a time?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it it does. I you know, it's <laughs> making X Goman known, to some extent, this felt similar the the announcement felt similar because when we announced XCOM enemy unknown we had to rush to like establish credibility i remember that was like the whole thing It was like you have to establish the credibility that you know what XCOMs about i'm like dude i've played more xcom than i'm like what are you talking about i was like i'll talk to anybody on xcom <laughs> um and this game same thing like um the marvel audience uh is very large and you have to also establish credibility um, you know, you'll still get comments about like, what is it cards? <laughs> Which is <laughs> fine. I, I mean um so yeah, I mean I it, it in some ways it felt similar, but yes, when I made um again, I've been at Praxis for twenty two years at this point, but when I made XCOM when we announced XCOM Any Man Known, I guess that was over a decade ago. So yeah, it was the first game I'd ever designed. Um so it's those games were They took, you know, a couple of years, three years a piece or, you know, and then and then, yeah, it it is a weird thing where like time seems to compress to, you know, when you're working on a game like this and it takes this long. The only way I have to track my time, actually, and this is true, um, uh, my daughter, uh, Alice, who is six years old. Um, you know, I pitched this game when she was less than a year old, right? So it's the kind of thing where I look at her and I'm like, Oh, okay, that's how old my game is. <laughs> ah, yes, you are. You're like an independent child now. She's almost about to turn seven in like six months. And so that's kind of how I track my time because otherwise, I don't know. I, I love like i'm i'm still a designer right so i'm a creative director so i'm involved in narrative direction art direction but i'm still a designer i actually spend most of my time designing systems i design heroes and their abilities i design enemies i still do a lot of design so like for me like the working in the middle of the project stuff like that's definitely when i'm happiest even though that's when the project's the worst i'm like happiest working so yeah, everything to me is like, but if COVID hadn't happened, like, that's that's also how I can mark time. Like, oh, yeah, back room in the studio. And then, oh, yeah, everybody was not in the studio. And then now most people are back in the studio. So, like, if that hadn't happened, I don't know, it would be just one giant five-year blurb. <laughs>
2: <laughs> how, you, you know, you mentioned uh, at, at, when you showed some, uh, there was a moment where you could tell, f- you know, in that first year that, you know, yes, that Midnight Suns was messy. But you could kind of see, like, th- this could be fun. How long did that take with the original
3: Enemy Unknown? how long did it take before you so long yeah so so long yeah i mean so enemy unknown was um and i'm curious how much was that just
2: you because you were nervous working on the project Were there other people that no 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 okay no 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 no
3: no no no, no. i um i i i think at one point we released a video of our of our first playable not past first but there's all these like you know nomenclature here but it's like you make a first playable and then after that you make a vertical slice and a Mm -hmm. vertical slice should look good right it should be like a small slice of gameplay where everything looks close to a final level so we made a vertical slice on enemy unknown and we got all the way to vertical slice and i remember we had this big party at the studio and, and this uh, is before uh, you'd show, before you'd shown it
2: publicly. And this is all oh, just, yeah, yeah. okay. Well, yeah, before we showed, yeah.
3: just showed it internally, like we finished it. We made a vertical slice and, uh, but design wise, it was terrible. It was terrible. We had taken the original game and then we piled a bunch of stuff on top of it, like soldier classes and some of the things that stuck to the final enemy unknown. Um, but it was genuinely a, uh, we, we reached vertical slice after over a year of work and. The feedback of people playing it was like, this is, you know, like maybe hardcore old XCOM people would be like, oh yeah, I can see what you're doing here. But like <laughs> everybody else, and the publishing everybody's like, what even am I playing here? And I and I knew it, I think. And so we, we, we threw out everything. And people can probably find, I think we released video eventually of our first vertical slice and how different it was. We threw out everything and we went back to the drawing board um, after our first vertical slice. So Enemy Unknown was like a mess. Like making that game was a mess. Um, It really didn't come together. And then the strategy layer, like it didn't come together until like a year before we shipped. This game was much more the the Abbey side of things, the RPG side of things, that that didn't come together until later. But like this game was much more um, confident design wise in terms of like at least the tactical combat was confident much earlier than that.
1: As far as like you know, you mentioned, you still regard yourself primarily as as a designer. That's the that's the work you love to do. But one of the things I think about is how few like at this level of the industry, how few projects you actually get to work on. Uh, given how long they take like you know i, I think jesus you know, when, christ you're you giving I, me so much anxiety just saying that yes <laughs> i know like
2: I hey, know. J- hey jake when are you gonna die have you, th- have you thought have you thought have you thought about that <laughs> oh, oh,
3: man, yes i have I, I, I track my life by games left yes go ahead <laughs> well, <Ron. laughs> yeah that's not just
1: that but it's like you know i remember you talking about and a lot of people who've, who've worked at fraxis have, have talked about this like that you know being able to go to sid for instance for you know to bounce ideas off of and riff but you know you look at when, like when Sid was most prolific as a designer in the Microprose days t- two games a year like just the 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 rate at which you could iterate and experiment with stuff and and turn it out was, was breakneck there was a lot of a lot of opportunity to try and test yourself as as a designer and I'm curious like is like you know as far as the like your persona as a designer does it get to come out often enough to play right like does does the does the the triple a industry uh afford enough space to like go play in that sandbox or is it like you have to spend a lot of time being an exec pretty much
3: yeah i mean i think that um yeah i mean it's a really really good question and and not only did sid get to make multiple titles a year there wasn't a thing of, like, genres. It was like, well, Sid just makes, you know, he just ma- he's making a, he flight a flight simulator. simulator. Yeah. Now he's going to make a game about the history of the world. And he's like, that was just when I played games. I grew up playing those games, and I was like, I don't know. Like, games are just video games. I don't know. I mean, like, what's this one versus that one? I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, genre, and you get, um you develop a specialty in a genre um and then yeah games take so long and and more than that i think the challenge is that the stakes are so so high right like it is it is not over dramatizing to say that at least from in my role like as a designer is like your first bad game like that's also your last one right like that is how it works this is a hit driven industry and so um I think about that all the time like that contributes to my like my I I operate at a level anxiety like a professional anxiety that's pretty high because I think that the stakes are so so high like it's it's expensive night games and they 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 need to be successful and so it's it's not even about like how much time do I have left but it's like I, I swear it just feels like you're like this. I operate like this is the last, this is it, this is the last one, right? It always feels like the last one because as I've said before, it's like when you're working on games, like they're just not good. And you're like, this is it. Like either this thing turns out good or it's like, well, that was it. I had a good run, you know, like, (laughs) and so I'm glad that I have XCOM, you know, I'm glad that I have Midnight Suns. I feel like, you know, hopefully Midnight Suns, you know, will... You know, make people happy, and I'm I'm really happy about Excom, but like my team and I made Excom. That's a that's a great thing to look back on now that I am an old head. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where I I find my joy as a designer in I'll make we'll make big games, and and I get to work on individual systems, and so I'm not like bouncing around making a bunch of different games, but I do get to bounce around and make different systems. And I don't know, I'm definitely a, like you know coal miner type guy. Where it's like I just come to work and i just love like okay today we're gonna solve this and tomorrow we're gonna work on that and i love the process so yeah it but it is it's uh it definitely that idea of like how many games you have left is um is one that definitely i have a hundred games in my head i think every game designer does like i've got a hundred crazy ideas in my head and i'm just like oh when i was younger i was like this is gonna be great i'll choose from all of these and then <laughs> you're like I better, I better make some choices here pretty soon. <laughs> like, um, and franchises. You know, I'm I'm happy to work on franchises. If it wasn't, if Marvel didn't come to us, I would. We'd be sitting there talking about XCOM. Okay, four probably. To be honest with you. But, um, but I I I was never gonna leave. I, I like XCOM. I was never gonna leave XCOM. Mid- Midnight Suns came about because Marvel approached, and I was such a Marvel fan. But, but yeah, it's it's true. Like, um. There's, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like wandering all over this question, but part of my nature is the like, I'm at Fraxis for 22 years for a reason. Like I've been married for 22 years. I, my truck is like 12 years old. Like I could get a new truck if I wanted to, (laughs) but I'm just like. I have this brain that I'm been blessed and cursed with which is like this is good and somebody's like yeah but that thing's good I'm like yeah but this thing's good and I have this thing so I'm just going to do this thing so I'm somewhat unimaginative when it comes to that
2: <laughs> Do do you get people now that you're in, you know sort of more of a leadership role uh and yet you, you you say you're someone who wants to be like in the coal mines and in, in the thick of it do you sometimes have people tapping you on the shoulder like hey Jake Like, I know you're going to want to work on this thing, but like you have a lot, you have, we have a checklist here. (laughs) Like, we need you to look at this. Like you find yourself getting pulled away from the stuff you like in your heart of hearts want to spend all your day doing, but know you have responsibilities elsewhere
3: some of sometimes that happens but i'm surrounded by people so garth is my he's the executive he's the producer of of midnight sons and I, we've worked together forever i've got joe weinhofer who's like the lead designer and those guys take those guys take the leadership roles from me because part of it too is like recognizing not just what do you like to do not to do but like what are you not good at and it's like i i freely admit that like i'm not great at like team communication and like I'm not great at mentoring there's certain things that I'm just not great at and it doesn't mean that I it doesn't mean like I'm some sort of monster or like <laughs> you know like but I'm they're not my like it's that skill set is not as valuable as my skill set of let's say designing and so I have guys that are like surround me that are like great leaders and they communicate with the entire team and the team is huge now and so there's multiple people who take on those roles and I gladly will just decline meeting requests because I know there are people who are going to be there and they mm-hmm. know me, they've known me for so long, they'll come to me and say like, this came up, you know, what do you <laughs> want to do? But I I don't desire like leadership. I don't desire um, those roles. I really like to, to work in the, in the trenches doing design. So I need people around me that can, like everybody does, right? You need people around you that like fill in your gaps. And I think that's a part of it for sure.
2: Uh, I do have I've have, I've have one last question. I, I like to ask this folks right before their games come out is, is there something in the game that you're really proud of? It's not the kind of thing that would be in a trailer. It wouldn't be something that you would really bring up when you're talking to the press. We're like, oh, here's this cool stuff we're doing in this game. But it's something in the game that even players might really notice. But you look at, you are like, I'm really proud of this. This thing is really cool. Um, is there anything that comes to mind that would otherwise be overlooked that, you know, you're just really happy is in the game?
3: yeah i mean there's um <laughs> it's ridiculous these which are the best ones right um so the fact that there's a pool at the uh abbey mm-hmm. so i'm a i'm a hardcore x-men guy i grew up just an x-men guy um and i just always picture the x-men always like they were the cool team They always hung out outside beside the pool and like From, like, my first, I'm sure it was my first conversation with Marvel, I was like, I want to be clear, there's going to be a pool and everybody's going to have to put on bathing suits, all right? Like, that is, like, it must happen. Like, the way I envision superhero teams, like, I don't care if we're fighting the mother of demons and there's this apocalypse going on. These people, these are, like, the best people to put in bathing suits. Captain America should be in a bathing suit, like, 18 hours out of the day. So I was like, these people are going to be in, in... (laughs) baby <laughs> so having a pool was always something i was really excited about um yeah i mean that that's probably uh that's, that's a good one thing. That's, that's a good one a, a very small feature but like it was people knew everyone on the team knew like no matter what meeting it was if there was any hint of someone saying <laughs> we they're like how many animations is the pool and i'm like and it, and people would speak up for me like this just, just like." <laughs> Like we will cut we will cut Iron Man before we cut the pool and I, I will die on that hill. So people are like fine, fine, we'll find a way to get the, the stupid uh stupid thing that I that I uh fought for from the beginning. Incredible.
1: Uh Rob Rob anything to, to leave us on? Uh you know, I guess my last question would be, you know, to that point about a hundred ideas, like, you know I don't want to say this is the blank check question because like blank checks are kind of overwhelming but if you came out of this and like huge success and it's like you know jake whatever you want to do you know you got a project that's unpitchable wouldn't survive the process or a thing people will be like we just hey we don't make that at this company you can't do that uh you know all green lights from here what are you where where are
3: you steering the ship there are two um there are two i i think that um I've always thought that high school was a fertile ground for, like, strategy, right? Like, I always thought high school is such a great setting because either you'd want to go back and do it better or you want to go back and relive it, right? So I always thought, man, I would love to make – so, Persona. like, I played a lot of Persona. um, But, like, I would love to make, uh, like, a, like, 80s high school, like, a John Hughes, like, strategy – like, a a game, a strategy game that's, like – john hughes in tone like oh my god there's the big party coming up and it's like you gotta find your way (laughs) like you can be in whatever click you want but like a very like 80s like ridiculous um strategy game i also the game i'll never make because i don't know i'm just too like middle american and i I i told my wife about this today and she was like what i always thought It is ridiculous to me that there is not a real game about relationships and sex. It doesn't, it boggles the mind, right? Our Puritan, I'm a Puritan, right? Like I understand it, but I'm like, that is such fertile ground for relationships and sex and romance and not in some prurient way in like, you can gamify that. You could make it interesting, dating, romance, sex, I was like, I cannot believe that a game does not exist that deals with that in an interesting, like, adult way. And my wife was like, you're not making that game. And I was like, no, I know I'm not making that game. I was like, but I, somebody's going to, and people are going to be like, this game, yeah, why don't we have a game about this? You know, it'll have to be a European developer. We're, we're way too, like, <laughs>
1: I will gladly
3: pull your freaking eyeball out, like, no problem, M for Mature, it's like. This game is uh, about sex. People are like no, no. Steam will not carry this game. And you're like okay. Like I don't know that anybody's even tried to make a real game about.
2: I, I think that, I think you see that like in the independent space, but uh, at the level of the I think we're you're talking to is sort of the like big budget. Like it's always sort of a side thing. It's a romance option. It's it's not necessarily <clears throat> a game explicitly focused. Like you're still mostly shooting aliens, but also you can have sex on the side if you fill a, meet, a meter up.
3: Doesn't that seem weird? Like, <laughs> yeah. isn't that a fertile ground for... And by the way, a broader audience than just, like, a core gaming audience. Like, if you want to reach more people, like, make a game. And again, I mean, it is one of those things where I do talk about, like, it's it's different. If you have too much agency, like, then it's like, okay. Like, this does feel a little weirder. So, um, I one of my favorite characters in Marvel is, is the Punisher, right? But what I love about the Punisher is that he has to go so far that he even leaves the reader behind. The, when the Punisher is the best, he, like when he's written by guys like Garth Ennis, the guy who wrote The Boys, like, and The Boys is the same way. They have to go so far that they leave you behind, and you're like, oh no, that's like, oh you're a bad person. Like this is what, like the Punisher is like. No, he's he's not like a all that bullshit people like putting their stickers on their like that's not what the punisher is about the punisher is like he's a broken human being who goes too far and so it's like yeah i love the punisher i could never make a punisher video game because if i gave the player agency you couldn't leave he could never leave you behind you've got to now do things that are reprehensible so you either don't go far enough and then it's not the punisher or you do go far enough and everybody's like Mm -hmm. that's disgusting i don't want to play that game so maybe a game about sex can't go that far because you're like what am i it's the you know, Mass Effect or Witcher, you know, like if your wife walks in and you're, I would also have those scenes and she'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm having sex on a unicorn. The I'm next like, question. I am, this is, I've built up to this. You're Very <laughs> really strange point. So, I mean, there probably would be a, you'd feel ridiculous maybe playing a game about sex, but it, it just blows my mind that that part of the human experience ha- doesn't even have a game. We have so many games about violence. We have so many games about so many different things now, but no games about relationships and sex. So maybe you could, maybe you could do it all with Marvel Midnight Suns, too. Just, <laughs> That's right. Just such a
1: breakthrough hit. And you're like, you know, the X Men were messy as hell. <laughs> That's right. and, and it's, be,
3: it's the X Men in high school. Uh, there we go yeah i mean like why not do it i I, you're right i have to put all these hundred ideas i have into like the next two games (laughs) things are gonna get squished together that probably shouldn't be all
1: right well jake thanks so much for uh chatting with us it's been a great conversation uh good
3: luck with the launch and uh let's do it again sometime yes i will see you guys in a decade how about that (laughs) sounds good all right bye guys
1: That was a great conversation with Jake, uh, one of like one of those guys that is a terrific interview and I think would be a this is kind of what you want, I think, in your game director in a lot of yes. ways where very good at uh, very very good on the mic, uh, very, very easy to talk to. Uh, it's a shame when we get a chance to talk to Jake. Once every few once, years, once when a decade, another one, of these, yeah, <laughs> one, one other one of these is is coming out. Uh, so that will do it for today's episode of Waypoint Radio. And with the exception, I think, of Manhunting coming out uh, for Waypoint Plus listeners on Wednesday. That's a wrap on Waypoint uh, for this week before the holiday. Uh, uh, my,
2: well, my turn uh, uh, will come out on the public feed. Uh, that's true. So our our most recent one that'll be available if you don't or not a subscriber at Waypoint Plus. So you get to hear us talk about, uh, why am I blanking? What did we just talk about? Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Um, and then you'll get to learn about what we're going to be talking about next. That one's a little bit down the road because got manhunting this week for Waypoint Plus. Next week, sports. will be back. Um, and then What's the at some point, point I'm going to make us watch Avatar. <laughs> What's the point of talking about sports? Uh, oh, st- oh, stop! Oh, st- I mean, speaking of putting too much on
1: someone's plate, Justin Fields has too much too much on, on their shoulders. Let us say, much, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm. Uh, <laughs> oh, god, it's happening. Uh, the prophecy uh, is coming true. Uh,
2: but at least it's coming true in week eleven or whatever, yeah. uh, as opposed to in in week two. Uh, there was there was a world where, I, I mean, fr- you know, frankly, I we'll see how he, he i i worry that Justin Fields is the kind of athlete that is going to have to be forcibly told sit, sit down like like let your shoulder yeah. get better i i think he is going i think he is going to play in that Packers game i think they i don't think they're going to be able the thing they should do is their bye week is after that they should yeah. let him just rest for a full 3 weeks he essentially gets almost a month off uh and then come back and have play a good play the packers home and stretch. shut them down <laughs> So that's the alternative is, is yeah, <laughs> could you put up 30 points against the Packers and beat them? And, and then, hey, Trevor okay. Simeon, time to get that career jump started again. And show, it's time for me to find new what th- you got time for me to find new things to do on Sundays. Um, that's fine. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what, what happens there. But we'll we'll check back in with with Justin. Well, I think that it'll be the same as it is by the time we record sports, because I don't think there's not a chance he plays this coming weekend. Like going against the, the granite. It seems like Zach
1: Wilson, uh, the quarterback for the Jets, might be like hung up in a locker. By, by Incredible. The, by the fact that a dude turns in a historically like bad like quarterback performance and is asked, hey, do you feel bad at all for like, do you feel like you let your awesome defense down because they did their job and played really well? And then your offense failed to score any points. And he's like, no, I don't feel bad at all. Next, Next question. It's not my fault.
2: Fuck those guys just unbelievable he might not be alive at the end of this week and so but i given uh the the, the falcons defense is uh, is awful and that's like fields had no time to throw i just said him. Um, sorry trevor that's what you get paid a couple million dollars for is to get the shit beat out of you for a week Yeah, <laughs> have, have fun if if the team could forfeit this game there's like nothing to be gained by playing right like just Let's just move on. Jets, you can have it. Like like don't don't worry. Do you want to watch Zach Wilson play anyway? No?
1: All right, let's just let's just move on Look, to, to the see, next Welcome one. to Rexham is radicalized me. I think every league should have relegation now. Like just imagine <laughs> how meaningful all this stuff would be if like there were a, a, a sewer league and like a Premier League. Uh God, that'd be that'd be great. And then we'd be Ugh. like, "Oh man, I think the Bears might get out of the Sewer League this year. You know, <laughs> it's really coming down between us and uh, Washington. Maybe it's our year to get promoted out of sewers. Maybe." God. So, look forward to that next yeah. week. We'll we'll have a
2: deeper dive and and the World Cup will be happening this week, so I'm sure we'll we'll talk about some of that, it I think sure actually. Is. Yeah, my understanding is the 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 US team There there's a strong foundation, but they are going to get their ass kicked against Wales is the vibe I've gotten on the game that will be played uh, this afternoon. Well, there's the
1: the broader issue of like this just seems like a joyless World Cup. Like the 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 entire like
2: now you can't wear these patches like the one love I mean they took away the beer (laughs) they're they're promising they won't put you in jail if you kiss your partner you know if if you happen to be queer Uh, they might they might but they might I wouldn't wouldn't trust them
1: I wouldn't like (laughs) that's no kissy kissy while you're in Qatar you got to put that on lock (laughs) right and that's and and that's the thing is, is is like it you know in addition to the repressiveness of you know uh, of that country uh, the the labor exploitation that went into preparing for this world cup and then the fact that all these preparations seem to have led to you know kind of a sochi like weird ghost town uh, of of an event right where like well, you have some a- the, the 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 first match was
2: uh, i don't know who Qatar's team played against um because i only caught a little bit of it but they were getting their asses handed to them they were down 2-0 um, at the half. And most of the fans of the Qatar team just didn't come back. Like, the stadium was, like, half empty for the opening game of the World Cup. Which is maybe not how you want. Not, you know, I think Qatar maybe deserves that. The government. Not necessarily the people. But uh, just, uh, it sounds like a shit show. And I yeah. imagine there'll be uh, a lot of fun things happening. Fun in quotes uh, this week as as the World
1: Cup unfolds. Yeah. And, like... You know, I don't want to say that if these issues only happen uh, abroad or or in places like Qatar. Obviously, you know, this, this weekend we had a mass shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs, yep. uh, right as like the hour struck for a trans day of remembrance. Uh, so, you know, obviously, you know, there are there are broader human human rights issues here, and certainly, you know, the situation is far from solved or or good here in many ways a backlash is underway that is continuing to get worse and more violent. Uh, but you know, at the same time, things like this, this world, this world cup situation also really put a fine point on how much repression and violence people are willing to look the other way on to keep it moving and keep business going, uh, as usual. And that, that creates a a pretty strong headwind to getting excited for anything out of this, this world cup. Uh, Anyway, we will be taking a break for the the holiday. I uh, hope everyone, if you celebrate, has ha- has a great holiday, uh, and if you don't, get some good days off. That's predominantly, I think, what a lot of us are going to be doing <laughs> is uh, trying to get some some real decompression done uh, before b- before the, the the winter break. Uh, if all this sounds good, or you just want more Waypoint, you go to WaypointPlus.com and subscribe. That gives you access to our premium feed. You're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to show not just support, but zeal, maybe buy that little Waypoint merch for that special Waypointer in your life, uh, you can go to waypointgeneralstore.com. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at b o n. For now, we're calling time on this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.